You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. Alrighty, welcome back. My name is Lyle. It's kind of weird saying welcome back. I, I'm just, uh, it's kind of goofy, but it's okay. Um, glad you're here. Just like Elliot said earlier, man, just thank you for joining us. Uh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, what a joy it is to uh, step into this space and be with you again through uh, the technology of the internet. And so, so thankful for that, that we could still gather together as one body, even though we're in uh, in different homes. And so if you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to go to a little bitty book called Philippians, which is in a, uh, the second half of the New Testament. So some of the ways that I remember where Philippians lands is I say, God eats popcorn. So Gal- uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, right there. And then Colossians is the C. Uh, so hopefully I won't get any emails about that one. Uh, but as you're diving into that, I just want to remind you, man, just thank you for your generosity and may you continue to give and give generously. Uh, to the work that's going on in this church, man, you're benefiting even now uh, from your giving and the giving of this church and our community at large is. And so I just want to say thank you for that and may you continue to give and give generously. There are multiple ways that are coming up on the screen and how you can do that through texting, through just uh, good old snail mail, whatever, uh, whatever's the best way for you to give. May you continue to do that during this season. Alrighty, so we are starting a new series for uh, summer months. We'll be in this book for about 10 weeks. And it'll take us all the way to the 1st of August. So this morning, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And so hopefully you've gotten there. And why don't we stand together in honor of reading God's Word. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness and how deeply I miss all of you with the affections of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may, may be able to prove the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, once again thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that uh, we can gather together uh, in this platform of online, Lord, even though it feels still kind of weird, we can still gather together as one body. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak to us, that this letter would be a life-giving letter to us over these next several weeks, and that, Lord, you would uh, use it in powerful and mighty ways, even in our heart and lives uh, this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. 
So yeah, here's, here's kind of my aim uh, this morning as we kind of open up this book. I, I really just want to answer this question, um, and that is this, how can you find uh, certainty in the midst of a ton of uncertainty? How can you, um, you know, grab a hold of something that is sure, that is a rock, that is solid, in a time that it feels very shaky and unsolid? If there's one thing that we've learned over the last two and a half months is that we don't know jack squat. Amen? I know it's just kind of made that up here. Uh, but we don't. I'm getting reminded of that passage of Scripture in James chapter 4, and you don't have to bring this up on the screen. But it's that passage of Scripture where it talks about we boast about tomorrow. We say we're going to go here and go there. And then, you know, but we have no idea what tomorrow will hold. And if there's anything that I've learned and hopefully you've learned over these last two and a half months that we don't know, that we can make all these plans, and maybe you had plans for the summer, and two and a half months ago, this darn virus shut the entire world down, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what next month holds. We, we still have a ton of uncertainty. And so I'm wanting to kind of speak into this and say, how can we find something of certainness in the midst of a lot of uncertainty? And so today, as some of you know, is uh, Josh Wilson's last day on staff. He's, uh, in case you guys don't know who he is, is uh, he's our associate pastor, he's been with us for six years. And, uh, and even though that I, I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm just speaking directly to them, there's a part of me that sort of is, uh, I couldn't help but think a lot about them as I've been studying this passage over the course of this week, because I just wanted to, in some ways, speak a, a personal message to them. Uh, that also is for all of us. So it's just, it's not a, like a one-on-one -on -one conversation or a one-on-three, I guess, or one-on-two. I can't even add today. Uh, conversation, I, I think it's something I want to speak to you guys directly, but I do think our entire body will benefit from this. And one of the things I just kept thinking about is this theme of certainty and uncertainty. Uh, so here's a, a family that's getting ready to uproot and head into St. Louis and, and start a brand new church. And there's, there's a lot of things that we know for sure, right? There are things we know for sure in the sense of they know where they're going to live. They have a house there. They have a team of people going with them. Uh, they are, you know, they, they know sort of the land there in St. Louis, somewhat familiar with that city. They know they're going to plant a church. They know God's going to be with them to plant that church. But in the midst of even all these things that they know, there is a ton of uncertainty. <laughs> a ton of uncertainty. And that's not just the case for Josh and Cherish. That's the case for every single one of us. And I think that's what part of this two and a half months hopefully has awakened us to. This is not unique, right? Uncertainty is not something that we're, you know, yeah, like that's abnormal. Uncertainty is a reality for all of us. And this pandemic has lifted the veil and caused us to experience that reality. So I, I want to speak to Josh and Cherish and to us and show that there are some things that we can know in the midst of a lot of uncertainty. There are things that we can grab a hold of and say, I am certain about this. And as crazy as it may sound, because you're probably wondering, where is he getting this out of these first 11 verses? In this prayer, in this opening remarks, I see... Paul speaking of three things that we can know for certain in the midst of a ton of uncertainty. So when we look at this book of Philippians, here are three words that are going to be good for you to remember as we work through this. These are three words that are 
kind of introductory matters before we jump into verses 1 through 11, all right? And we'll unpack these more in the coming weeks. So here they are. Paul is the first word. So Paul is an apostle. He's an apostle. He's a church planner. He used to be a, a terrorist. I mean, he did. this crazy stuff. Freed about his conversion in Acts chapter 8. He met Jesus and God, Jesus changed his entire life and he became a, a follower of Jesus Christ that planted a ton of churches and part of what he does in the, the second half of New Testament is write all of these letters to a lot of these churches that he planted and one of them is the church in Philippi. And the thing you got to remember about Paul, especially in this specific time, is that he's in chains. So he mentions that next week, he'll mention that again in the book of Philippi uh, or later on this book. So he is in uh, kind of house arrest. And that is not the same as house arrest in our time, right? It's like, it's way worse, right, than in the first century. But he is on house arrest in Rome waiting for trial. And he is chained literally to a guard, all right? So that's his, um, that's his circumstance that he's in and writing this book. And it's a beautiful lens to keep on as you read through this book because it begins to talk about joy and contentment and it helps bring weight to those words when you realize here's Paul in prison writing about joy and contentment. That's the first word. Second word is Philippi. That's the city that uh, these followers of Jesus Christ, this church lives in. And the thing you got to remember about Philippi is that it's a colony of Rome, which just means this, is that Philippi is a little piece of Rome abroad. It's a city where uh, was legally set up and ran as if it was a miniature Rome. And it's important for us to know that. I'll explain a little bit later in the coming weeks why it's important, but here's what you need to know. People valued their citizenship as a Rome, Roman person, whatever you wanna say there, right? And what this actually the city is, is there are a lot of people that were in the army of Rome or whatever they actually call that in a you know, more technical term, I'm just calling it the army, uh, but served on the military for Rome. Once they retired, a lot of them moved to Philippi. And so they valued their Roman citizenship. That was a big deal in the city of Philippi. So that's second word. The last word is this, citizens. So if I had to, um, to sum up, what is the book of Philippians about in one sentence? I would say this. The book of Philippians is about living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Paul is after. Yeah, this book is a lot about joy. It's the word that's used a ton in these four chapters. But it's not the theme of the book. Joy, I would say, is a byproduct or a fruit that comes as you learn to live out of your primary identity as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So I'm not first, speaking about Philippi, a citizen of Rome. No, I am first a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And having that vision for my life then produces joy that's not determined by circumstances or what's going on in my life. So Paul, Philippi, citizens, those are three words that help you a little bit understand the introduction of the book of Philippians, and we'll be hitting on all those as we go through the next few weeks. But today, this morning, in, in similar fashion, like Paul does in so many of his letters, he starts off with a thanksgiving, and then he also starts off with a prayer. And I see in this thanksgiving and this prayer three things, three aspects, three truths that we can hold on to certainties that we can hold on to during seasons of uncertainty. And I pray, uh, Josh and Cherish, that this is a, an encouragement to you and a blessing to you. The first one is this, 
is that God will send you gifts. I love it, you guys. I like gifts, right? Amen. There's something about getting the unexpected gifts that just like makes you happy. You know what I'm saying? It just, you know, brings a little joy in your high, a little, little, little step in your step or whatever that is, a higher step in your step. I will sometimes forget that I ordered something on Amazon and then it'll show up on my front porch. And I'm going, oh, man, we got, a, we got a box from Amazon. It's like, it's like I knew I ordered that, but then you kind of forget and then there it is and you're like really excited about that. There is something about gifts that can bring an encouragement, that can bring a blessing, that can bring perseverance, that can bring a stamina during seasons of difficulty. And here's a thing that we can know for certain, that God will send you gifts. And there are two that Paul mentions in these first few verses. The first one is found with the pronoun that we see repeated over and over in verses three through seven. Let me show you this again. Paint attention, because I try to emphasize it as I read. Look what he says here, starting in verse three. I thank my God every time I remember what? You. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have, since I have you in my heart for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. We know this, that the letter of Philippians is written by Paul in response to a financial gift that Epaphroditus brought to him from Philippi. So, so in one, one way, Philippians is like this massive thank you note. You know, that's what it kind of is. So, so Paul is writing this book to thank them in essence for this financial gift, but notice that the first thing that Paul thanks them for is not the money. I mean, he will, but not here. He doesn't say, hey, thank you guys for the money, man. I, I could finally get some snacks. I felt a little left out when they opened up the snack shop and I didn't have any funds to do my snack stuff. So thank you so much, guys, for the fun so I can do that. And thanks for the few laughter that's in here and hopefully at home you are laughing also. No, what he first thinks God for is he thanks God for them, for the church in Philippi, for people that God has placed in his life. This is God's gift to Paul, and it's also God's gift to us, relationships that God graciously and sovereignly places in our lives, sometimes absolutely unexpected. And these are gifts that God gives to us in seasons when we need them. When I look back on my life, you know, anytime I kind of do a kind of a somewhat of a, a scan over the last 30 years, or if I kind of think back in my 20s, I have never, ever once thanked God for that 88 gold Chevrolet Cavalier that I had when I was like 25 years old. Even though in that time, dude, I thought I was the toughest thing and one hot dude in that two-door sport 88 Chevrolet Cavalier. I guess I probably liked it more than I realized because I can really report all the details. But whenever I think about that in my later life, I never thank God for the things. I always, man, thank God for people, men and women, that God placed in my life in strategic and needed times. God will gift you with people continually. That is something 
we know with certainty. So when you're down, when you're struggling, when we're in hardship, God will send you a gift, and that gift will have a name. Timothy. Epaphroditus. Lydia. Silas. Barnabas. Josh. And Cherish. I can say this with certainty. When we think about Josh and Cherish, we're not going to think about their productivity, even though they did a ton of work here. And they did a lot of good work here, and we thank God for the work that they do here and did here. But when we think about Josh and Cherish, we're not going to think about those awesome sync meetings that he ran for CG, all those awesome little PowerPoints he pulled up, some kind of sermon that he preached. i tell you what we'll think about. It. We'll think about their presence in our lives. We'll think about their joy in our lives, their their countenance in our lives, their, their, their loyalness in our lives. Those are the things we will think about. They are the gifts that God has given to us. And God will give you more. So that's a certainty. The other one that we see here as far as like these gifts that God gives us is, is, is this idea, like I know this sounds really crazy, but just hang with me. But not only does he give us people as gifts, but he also gives us place. That's good. Now, where are you getting that, Lyle? Look at verse 7 here real quick. It is right. Look what he says. For me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share, or think in, in uh, the, the CSB translation, which is a good translation of this word, are partners in God's grace with me. And so the question you got to ask here in verse 7 is, is what, what is Paul thinking about when he says, I thank God for your participation or being partners in God's grace. What, is he, what does he mean by grace here that you're participating with that? Now, yes, he could be, um, you know, kind of like restating what he said there in verse 5 when he said, thank God for the way you've participated with me in the, in, the, in the proclamation of the gospel. He could be repeating that, just kind of using a different word. But I think what Paul is doing here is something more. What I believe Paul's doing here is he is equating God's grace with his place, meaning his current situation. And his current situation is that he is in chains. He is in prison. Not a great place to be in. And those that make up the church in Philippi may not be suffering exactly the same way that Paul is, but because of their message of the gospel that they're living on and proclaiming, they are also dealing with opposition and suffering and difficulty. And so Paul is going, I am thankful for your participation in your grace with me. And that grace is this place, this place of difficulty, hardship, suffering, and pain. And here's the kicker of this. Paul looks at this. He looks at being in chains. As a gift. This is a gift from God, and I give thanks to God for this gift. Look, as I look, I'm not there, right? I, I want to be there. I want to be at a place where I can do what Paul is doing here and looking at a situation that seems really bad, right? That's not even doing it justice and look at this and call it a gift and give thanks to God for it. But here's what we can know with certainty, and hopefully this isn't really 
Maybe this is a little bit of a downer. We love having people in our life. Well, well some people we do, amen. Uh, but, but here's what the other certainty we can know for sure is that God will bring suffering. He will bring pain. He will bring difficulty. He will bring hardship. But he brings that not to destroy you. That's the enemy's plan. He brings that for your good. He wants to mature. He wants to strengthen. He wants to deepen. He wants to grow you, and he wants to forge your character. So what can we be certain of during times where it seems like nothing is certain? Well, here's what we can be certain of. That God will bring you gifts. He'll bring you gifts of people, relationships. And he will bring you the gift of place, meaning this gift of difficulty. I know it sounds so weird to say this, but it is this gift of difficulty, suffering, and sometimes That's one. Secondly, what's the second thing that God can give us during times that we can be certain of? And that is this, that God will complete his work in you. I mean, when you, when you kind of read this um, all the way through, you get to verse 6, and it just feels like, all right, this seems sort of out of place. It's almost like, you know, Paul had like a little bit of a brain fart, or he... He got it like distracted somehow. And anyway, now he's talking about, you know, you know, being confident that God's going to finish this work. I mean, look what it says here in verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will do what? He will carry it out until, uh, to completion until the day of Christ. So, so what, is, what is Paul doing here? So he's in the midst of thanking them for their participation in the gospel and their participation in the grace with him. He, he makes this statement that God is going to complete a good work with him. Now, why is that there? Because when he's thinking about their partnership in the gospel, he's also realizing that this is a really difficult time for them. This is really hard. This is a struggling time for them because their message of the gospel is not, hey, Philippi, people in Philippi, do you want your best life now? You know, come and follow Jesus. Or, hey, everyone, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Well, pray this prayer. Hey, everyone, do you want a purpose-filled life and live your, you know, an awesome life in this world? Well, here, let me give you the, you know, the, the prayer to pray and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All of those are really important. I'm not trying to downplay them, even though it may sound like I'm trying to. I'm not. They're all really important. They're all part of the Christian message. But for the Christians in Philippi, their message was Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And in this time, that's treason. And I don't know. I don't think treason is great right now in the 21st century. Right? If you get caught doing treason, you're getting big doo-doo, right? Well, just imagine that in the first century. That was their gospel message, that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. So in the midst of praying and thanking God for their partnership in the gospel, he also realizes how tough and difficult and hard this is, and they will be tempted to give up and say, I'm done. And here's what Paul is helping them see. You're going to make it. You're going to get through this. Why? Not because he sees something in him. No, because he knows who God is. He will see to it that the work that he started in them, he will finish and he will complete. 
He will not give up even when they are tempted to do so, and maybe they do, right? He will remain faithful even in times when they are faithless. It may look like God is distant, that he is not at work, that he's not doing anything, but we know from this passage and we can have certainty no matter the circumstances that God is at work and he will finish it. He will complete his work. And I don't know about you guys, but over the span of my 50 years of life, this truth, right, this certainty, I need to hear over and over and over and over that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it to the end. That what you see in the present is not the finished product. What you see in the present is no guarantee of what the future will be like. And if we we're in a crowd full of people, hopefully you would say amen to that, right? And the reason why we know that for sure, because there is a God and his name is Jesus and he is Lord and he's always at work and he will finish what it is that he started. That does not mean that we blow up our lazy, you know, inner tube, float down the lazy river and say stupid stuff like, hey, well, God's at work, I don't have to do anything. No, that's just dumb, naive, ignorant talk. No, it means this, that all of us, if you're a Christ follower, part of the evidence that you're a Christ follower is the spirit of God is dwelling in you and you have a desire to do work on yourself, right? That's part of the grace. Grace is never to, you know, Freeload, grace enables our work and we want to work. And here's what this passage does for us. It gives us confidence that the work that I'm doing is not in vain, in spite of sometimes seeing no progress, right? In spite of it feeling like that stupid, dumb, awkward dance of sanctification where you're two steps forward and one step back, or maybe one step forward and two steps back. You know what I'm talking about. No. In spite of what we see in the present, man, we can have confidence that the work we're doing, that God finished this. And I need this, man. I need it for myself. I need it for my marriage. I need it for my parenting. I need it for my children. I need it for our church. I need it for my neighbors. And you need it also. You need to hear this. This is a certainty that you can know in the midst of all kinds of uncertainty that God will finish and complete his work. Josh and cheers. Know that God is first and foremost at work in you. And no matter what he does in this church plant, no matter what it becomes or doesn't become, it does not matter. He is doing a work in your life and he will complete it and finish it. No matter how dark and difficult and hopeless the present may seem, it is no indication of what the future is going to be. That we can hold on to. That is for sure. God will complete his work in you. And the last one here, and I'll be really quick. It's in verse 9 through 11. So after he thanks them, he kind of jumps into uh, uh, this kind of like this prayer of what he wants for them, his desire for them. And look what he, he says about them in this prayer. And this is my prayer, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day 
of Christ. I love this simple prayer. I mean, he's saying, God, I want their love to abound more and more in, in knowledge and depth and insight. Why is that? So they can look at the complexities of all of light and discern what is best, what is wise, how to move forward, where do you go, how do you do this? And then he's not done. In verse 11, I love how he sit, ends this. He, he says, I want them, not only this, I don't want, them, want their love to abound and that they would learn, you know, be able to discern what is best, but they also that they would be filled Love this, filled, not just like a little bit, but filled with the fruit of righteousness. And what is the fruit of righteousness? I think it's shorthand for what he talks about in Galatians chapter 5, where he lays out the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And Paul has given him a vision. It's like, I want them to be filled with this. That comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. I want them to be like this massive fruit tree, like this apple tree. It's got just so much fruit on it that when you experience them, you could not help but experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what's the certainty in here? Well, this is what we have here. We're getting a picture of Paul's devotional life here. He says, this is what I've been praying for you guys. And the reason we know that this is what he's been praying for them is because of this letter. But before they had this letter, they had no idea that Paul was praying these things to the church in Philippi, that their love would abound, that they would, you know, grow in knowledge and depth of insight so they can discern what is best and that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. They had no idea that this is what Paul's been praying for them while they're in, he's in prison in Rome, and the only reason they know it now is because he tells them here in this letter, and here is the certainty, and here's the point that I'm trying to make, is this, that God will see to it that his people will pray this for you. I mean, right now, all of us in this room, you have people that are probably praying for you, and you have no idea, none whatsoever, and probably will never know. You have people all throughout your life who have been praying for you specifically. Maybe not what we see in these two verses, but there are specific things that they've been praying for you and you have absolutely no idea. And I would say that's a certainty that we can hold on to and that is this, is that God will see to it that his people, as crazy as this sounds, will pray for you. That he will move individuals that will think of Josh and Cheris and Seth and Sutton and Sawyer and future number, what, number four with the future S to start the name, hopefully. I was hoping to get, you could do Charles. See, that's still there, right? Charles, is that's my first name. So, or you can do Lissel, emphasize the S in my name, whatever. Um, but there will be people that God will move to pray these specific things for you that your love will abound, that it will overflow, that you will grow in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can discern what's best, man. So much of life is full of complexities and we need wisdom and direction and that both of you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, I've missed one. Who cares? Self-control would be just overflowing out of you guys. 
So allow what cannot be certain of during times of uncertainty. Well, this is what God will do. He will send you gifts. He will send people in your life, and he will send the grace of suffering in your life. Those are gifts from the Lord to strengthen, sustain, and to help. And God will see to it that he will finish his work in you. He is not going to abandon you. What he started, he will complete. And God will see to it that his people will pray for you. That's what we can hold on to during uncertain times. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.